out of all the different religions in the world, out of all the different sort of concepts of God, Christianity is very unique because it is the only one in which God, at the very essence, very core, is a God of love. Uh, even in Islam, God is to be revered, to be feared. But there is no intimate relationship of love. There's something about love that I think all of us sort of resonate with. So this word in itself is probably the most powerful word uh, even in, in human language when you think about our desires. Everyone wants to love and to be loved. And yet when we think about love, oftentimes there's sort of this misconception of what love is. Uh, for, for those of us in the world, when we think about love, we often think about love from a very sort of a kind of a, a childlike way that uh, we see love as uh, these kids that were asked the question, what is love? Uh, one kid uh, said this, that I think you're supposed to get shot with an arrow or something, but the rest of us, it's not supposed to be so painful. There's others of us when we view love, we sort of have this cynical view of love. Love is something that is just kind of maybe not really meant to be experienced. It's sort of the way to be kind of you know, we desire it, but uh, it's something that we can never attain. Uh, one uh, man said this, uh, if you are in love, by all means get married. If you find true love, you'll be the happiest person on earth. If you don't find it, then you will become a philosopher, and that's still good. So when we think about love, oftentimes it's, we have this sort of childlike view or this cynical view. But what is love? Probably the most universal question. Well, you know, we know that love means a lot of different things. And in the English word, it's, it's kind of a word that we use to describe everything, isn't it? it, it to describe our, an object or describe a person. It's the same word, but it has a different understanding. So we could say, I love this, I love my car, I love my house, or I love my child. Of course, the degree of love changes with what the object is. Well, the Greeks were a little bit more precise with the word love. Rather than seeing love just as kind of this universal word, they actually had different definitions of the word. Uh, for example, th there was a unique word called eros, love. Uh, the Greeks had this idea that love was also very physical. It was a physical outward expression. Uh, it is what some person has described, I love you if. It's a conditional type of love. It is based on feeling. It's based upon what you can do for me. In many ways, if you kind of understand this type of love, it's, it's a very intense, passionate type of love. The word, even in our human uh, uh, English language, erotic, comes from this word eros. In some sense, this kind of word can be very self-centered because it's about pleasing ourselves. Uh, and, and as a result, this idea of eros love is, is sort of the word that I think if, if most of us in, in, in America, or maybe even in civilization nowadays, when we think about love, sometimes this is what we think of, just the physical expression of love. Well, we know that there is something deeper than that. Actually, the Bible talks about a deeper level of love, more than physical love, and that's what the Bible describes as phileo love. Phileo love is what we would consider uh, a deeper, more intimate form of love. It is a relational love. While the first one was a romantic type of love, the second was a relational one. It is based upon this idea of deep connection, intimacy. 
uh, we get the word Philadelphia in America. It's a city of brotherly love. It's a brotherly, relational, friendship love. And we're commanded in Scripture, that's how we are to love one another. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 9 through 13, we read, Now about brotherly love, we do not need to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. In other words, the Christian expression of love, relational love, is this idea of phileo love. That whether there is a physical aspect of this, what's deeper is this family, friendship type of love. But we also know that it's can be also very conditional as well. That type of relationship can break based upon trust or because something does something, somebody does something to you. But the biblical idea of love, which was very unique, even in the, in the Greek, was the word agape love. It was the third type of love. It was a love that even the Greeks themselves didn't use to describe. But, but Paul takes this unique concept and sort of Christianizes it by describing this type of love. It is... In the New Testament, and this is important, love was not sentimental or an affectionate emotion, as we commonly interpret it. But rather, love was something that was deeper than that. It is the Christian word in, in the sense that over 250 times in the New Testament, it is used to describe the love of God. Love in the Bible was never meant to be purely sentimental or emotional. But it means understanding redeeming, creative goodwill. It is the love that says, I love you despite of what you do to me. It is a description of God's love. It is more than emotion, it is action. And if you think about sort of the, the biblical understanding of love, and when you think about the Christmas story, we're not talking about this sort of feeling that we get on Christmas. We're talking about the act itself of God loving us to the point in which he gave himself for us. And so how do Christians love each other? And here's the most important distinction. We don't love each other because the way we feel toward each other. We love each other by acting as if we love each other. C.S. Lewis uh, once wrote in Mere Christianity, do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor, act as if you do. As soon as we do this, we find ourselves one of life's great secrets. When you are behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love him or her. If you injure someone you dislike, you'll finding that person disliking them even more. But if you do good in turn, you will find yourself disliking him even less. This quote applies in friendship it applies in marriage so many marriages sort of fall apart because it, the, even though the emotion of love may fade when the action of love fades then the disconnection of love is severed you know when I think about love in the Bible God doesn't love us because of what we do for him God loves us despite what we do to him and it's one of the most powerful understanding of love. It's, it's, it's the forever love. It's the unconditional love. And if you think about the radicalness of this, it transforms us, but it transforms the people around us, and ultimately it transforms the world around us. The biblical idea of love is manifested in giving, in obedience, in sacrifice. And one of the things that I think true love is, is that when we see it in action, 
we are amazed by sort of the, the, the effect, the ripple effect of what love does. And when love truly happens, we see that it is the most powerful description of the character and nature of God. So where is this love expressed? Well, we see this love expressed in the Christmas story, don't we? We see the story of this little baby being born in a major. Now, some of us, when we see, hear that story, we've heard it so many times. Uh, we, we see sort of this feel-good story about this poor couple coming all the way from Nazareth to Bethlehem of their hometown origin. And then we see this little baby born, baby born in, in sort of this barn with all these friendly animals around them. And we, we just have to feel good about it. But the birth of Jesus was probably the most radical demonstration of love. Because in one sense, it was God coming down in human flesh. We call that the incarnation. But at a great cost. When God came down as a baby, he did not come down in a palace. He did not come down in a place where there was a regal sort of uh, uh, atmosphere where he was already proclaimed to be king. He came down as an infant in the most humble situation. In the most desperate situation, when Jesus was born, it showed us the very nature and character of God, that he himself would humble himself to be vulnerable, to show mankind the depths of his love for, for them. Now, if you think about the love of God, really, God didn't need to love us. Because we, throughout human history, all the way from the very beginning, we've constantly rebelled against God. We have, we have sort of spurned his love by denying him, by, by in some sense, de even denying his existence. And yet, throughout human ex uh, experience and existence, the God pursued us. The whole Bible is a love story. It's a story of God's pursuit of his creation. And it's, it's a powerful reminder that God's love is so infinite that he would be willing to do anything to reclaim his creation. When you think about what true love is, there's something about love where somebody's willing to give themselves to someone else. But there's an interesting application to love. That the biblical idea of love is not just God loving us, but that through that, we love one another. That there is a transforming aspect to love. That God takes a human being who is sinful and self-centered, who experiences the true love of God, who is transformed by that love, and then begins to love those around them. That's the miracle of love. That true love always transforms. You know, one of the things that, that I realized that, you know, one, uh, one of my favorite uh, musicals, books, and, and stories is a story by Victor Hugo. Many of you know the story of Les Miserables, a story about a man named Jean Valjean, who as a hardened criminal was put in jail because he stole a piece of bread for his nephew. And in that whole story, the redemptive nature of that one act in which he is now in prison, he's let out of jail, he goes to the house of the bishop and he knocks on the door of the bishop and the bishop opens the door and sees this criminal, an outcast of society, and invites him in. Not only does he invite him in, he prepares the finest meal for this, for this criminal and he prepares the best room in the house. 
And the story continues where this, this criminal wakes up in a violent dream, runs downstairs and steals as much silver as he can to, to kind of make a living for himself. And when he is caught by the police, he is brought back to the house of the bishop. And when the police knock on his door, the bishop looks surprised because they see his, this criminal, Jean Valjean. And the police say to, to this bishop, do you want to press charges? Man, we saw this man running out of the house, stealing all your silverware. And the bishop says, no, no, he didn't steal this. I gave it to him. And at that moment, as the police officer leaves, Jean Valjean falls on his knees, starts to weep, and asks the bishop, why did you do this for me? And the bishop looks at him and says, today, I have bought your soul for God. You are not your own anymore. And he expresses the love of God in such a way that not only is Jean Valjean transformed because of the love of the bishop, but he's transformed because now he gets to express that love. And the whole story about, is about his nurturing of this little girl who's a daughter of a prostitute that he takes under his mentorship because he himself experienced true love see when you think about the christmas story it it is the most powerful description of what love really is today what i want to talk about is just three quick things about the love of god and it's found in first john chapter four so if you uh go to john chapter uh, first john chapter four we're gonna sort of take a left turn a little bit and, and go to a different passage of scripture some of us think that the christmas story only resides in the in the in the gospels but actually the christmas story is woven all the way through the bible and in first john chapter four we see a description of something about the christmas story And it is a description of God in this narrative. It says this in chapter 4, verse uh, 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love amongst us. This is love, that he sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. The Christmas story is a story of God sending his son that we might know love, experience it, and express it. So let me just walk you through those three things to think about what true love is. First of all is this, that God's love is given through his son. That God's love is given through us. The source of our love is God himself. And we see that this love is expressed in the Christmas story. He gives us his son. We know that the greatest verse of the Bible that most of us know is the simple verse in John three sixteen: For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. It's a profound understanding of, 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 of what love is, of what God does. To truly love, we have to understand God's love. And this whole idea of, of God's love is this, that it's not because we are lovable. You know, in, in human relationships, 
How do we fall in love? In, in many ways, the human relationship of falling in love is because we like that person. We're interested in that person. That person's interested in us. There's a likability factor. Because there's a commonality. We start having dinner together. We have coffee together. We laugh about the same things. We enjoy the same activity. There's a commonality in human relationships, isn't there? And so we fall in love because of this mutual benefit. Well, here's where God's love is different. God doesn't love us because we can give him something. God doesn't love it because we're righteous. It says in Romans chapter 3, verse 10, as it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God's. All have turned away. They together have become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Think about the radicalness of that. To love someone, not only who doesn't like you, but to love someone who hates you, who detests you. And the love of God is this God's pursuing us that whether we love him or not, he still loves us. Because the very nature of God is that his love is not based upon our activity. His love for us is not based on mutuality. There's no mutual benefit. (laughs) But God loves us simply because of his nature, because he created us in his image. It's his desire, it's his willingness to do whatever he can. It is the character of God. And notice what it says here. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. You know what the number one characteristic of a Christian is? It's how we love. It's not our theological knowledge. It's not even our Christian activity. The reason that we exist is to demonstrate the expression or the love of God to others. And those who have experienced the love of God are the ones who are best to show the world what love is. That that we are, in some sense, our witness to the world that Jesus says that all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That love is the primary ingredient in which we are to express the nature and character of God to the world. Think about the power of that. It says this, everyone who loves has been born of God. And whoever does not love does not know God. That's a very important statement, isn't it? If we do not love, we do not know God because the the very essence of who God is says this, because God is love. The reason we love is because God first loved us, not because we first loved him. And you know what happens when we have a sense of gratitude? It's, it's, it's what the Bible describes as grace, as unmerited favor. It's when somebody does something to you that you don't deserve. There's something about it that's so overwhelming that you become grateful. That gratitude comes as a result of grace. What about something in your life where somebody did something for you that didn't, you didn't deserve? Well, I know in my life, there are many things that, that I received that I didn't deserve. And when we see here, when we sort of understand that, we appreciate the goodness of God. But this, there's a second point here, is this, that love is not just what God does for us. He, it also is demonstrated by what he did through sacrifice. That the primary attribute of love 
is sacrifice. Now, we know in 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul reminds us this, that over and over again, he describes this, this great thing about love, that there are three things that will always exist. Faith, hope, and love. And he says the greatest of these is love. So how is love demonstrated? Well, I think the first key thing is that it's demonstrated by his sacrifice. Look at this in verse 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. When I think about true love, if you aren't willing to give something, then really, do you really love that thing or that one? You know, one of the natural expressions of human love is your desire to give to that person, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your kids, whether it's your friends. And that's why I think in Christmas is a great season for us because in many ways the expression of Christmas is giving gifts. Why do we give gifts? Well, it's because, from a Christian understanding, it's because God gave his gift to us. And so we give gifts to one another. But there's a deeper meaning than that. Because when we give of something, of ourselves, someone else, we are sacrificing something that we have, whether it's our money, whether it's our time. And sacrifice is really, in some sense, the essence of love. First, uh, John three sixteen: for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, reminds us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That, that we are called to give of ourselves. Because once we understand what's, what true love is, then we are willing to sacrifice. Because sacrifice is the ultimate expression of love. And not only giving something that is something that we could just kind of throw away, but the ultimate love is where you sacrifice your life for somebody. Didn't Jesus say that? Greater love has no man than this that he or she would lay down his life for someone else. Think about the greatest stories of love, right? All the great stories of love sort of embody this idea of sacrifice, where we're willing to give ourselves to somebody else at the cost of our lives. Because if it doesn't cost you anything, then the question, is it truly a sacrifice? The more we understand God's love... We understand the greatness of his sacrifice. When, when God became a human being on that day that we call Christmas, reminded us that God was willing to give everything of himself. Because here's the thing about God's understanding of time. He, he doesn't understand time in the linear way that we understand time. God sees all of past, present, and future all at once. And here's the thing. God knew what would happen to his son. And he still gave us. The ultimate sacrifice. But not only a sacrifice for us, but, but also sacrifice so that we could be redeemed. But it doesn't stop there. And I think this is what makes love so powerful, that love is transferred from God to his son to us to the world. That something about love is, is a handoff. That God begins this baton pass, that he himself demonstrates his love by giving us his son. His son then gives us life to his people, and then what are we called to do? (coughs) Excuse me. 
We are called to love one another. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. What's interesting about uh, atheism is that atheism in many ways is, is very philosophical, isn't it? And atheism in some ways is also very practical. But here's the way in which we can show the world, even though we may not prove his existence logically or philosophically, the way in which we prove God's existence is by our willingness to love the unlovely, to love the broken, to love the hurting. No one has seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is complete in us. And then it says in verse 13, this is how we know that we live in him and he lives in us, that he has given us a spirit, and we have seen and testified the Father that has sent the Son to be the Savior The last point is this, that love, God's love is expressed through his people. It's not enough that we love God because he first loved us. It's not enough that we understand that theologically and philosophically. It's not enough that we come to Sunday service and celebrate that and sing songs on Sunday. It's not enough because that's not what God desires for us just to understand that for ourselves. But that true love has to be expressed to the people around us. That when we demonstrate love, we are demonstrating God's very nature and God's very character. Joseph Albrecht wrote a book many years ago on evangelism. And he tells a story. He goes, as I read in the scriptures, I'm haunted by the idea that God is not so much asking you to tell your friends about Jesus as in showing them what a friend they have in And you, love them, we're told. Love them until they ask us why. And then he tells this interesting story. He goes, I I recently uh, met a fascinating radiant Christian from India. His ministry uh, was to international students, and he was leading scores of Hindus and Muslims to Christ. And so he began to ask the question, what accounts for your effectiveness in reaching members of these radically different cultures and religious traditions? He goes, each Sunday, he said, he and his wife would host between 30 to 50 students for dinner. That's a key part of their strategy, they said. Food and fellowship break down barriers. He goes, there's something about eating a meal with someone that accelerates friendships. And then Joseph Aldridge says, so do you talk about Christ during these meals? He goes, no, no, no. It's impossible to talk openly about Jesus. So how are you able to see so many people find Christ? And then his response is so profound. He said this, I love them until they ask me why. And I think for us, what are we marked by? I think sometimes we're marked by the wrong things, whether it's our political affiliation or we're marked by even the the church that we attend. But as Christians, we should be marked by one thing, and that's really Because when we truly love, we are demonstrating the very nature and character of God. So let me ask you this. On this Christmas week or month that we talk about the love of God, how are you expressing God's love? Not just by buying a present. I mean, that's important. That's good for for what you can do. But 
How are you expressing the sacrificial nature of love? And I, I want to challenge you to think about this. Because the only way we truly understand the goodness and the grace of God is when we ourselves are living a life of sacrifice that, that is willing to cost us something. Because if it doesn't cost us anything, then I would challenge the nature of that love. There's nothing more powerful to share with people than the message that God loves them. But it's not just a trite saying. This is a message for our times, isn't it? A message in which children are growing up in broken homes. They don't even know who their father or mother is. Where relationships are being splintered and broken. Loneliness is growing. Disconnectedness is happening. People not only don't see real love, but they don't see love being demonstrated. All they see is a self-centered love. I'll give you this if you give me that. Exchange for this and exchange for that. But for a Christian, we love not because we get. We love because God gave. But sometimes that has to be seen through an individual. Let me conclude by sharing this last story. Uh, there's a man named Thomas uh, Vanderwood as a pastor of a Holy Trinity Catholic Church in, in Gainesville, Virginia. And his legacy is, is one in which he is a profound advocate of, of the pro-life movement. He believed that every life was precious, regardless of how the world perceived it. And so, Thomas Vanderwood goes back to his parents' story. Thomas Sr. and his wife, Mary Ellen, were devout Catholics. They had seven children. And by the seventh child they were expecting, the couple were in their 40s. And, and, and the later you are pregnant, the, the, the higher chance of birth defects. And this boy named Joe was born with Down syndrome. Chris Vanderwood, one of the sons, said, it didn't matter that Joe had Down syndrome. He was my father's son. And that was all the reason that was needed for my father to love him. But, father, but Thomas Sr. demonstrated love, not by just taking care of this boy. But in 2008, one morning, Thomas Sr. and Joe were in the backyard, were in the yard. When Joe by accident, fell into a septic tank, which was about eight feet deep, extremely dangerous. Thomas Sr. tried to grab his son, but was fruitless. And so he did only the thing that he could only think about doing. He lowered himself into the tank. And because he couldn't keep Joe's head above water, decided to hold his breath, dive under, and hoist Joe into his shoulders to keep him breathing. By the time that the rescuers arrived, Thomas Sr. had died saving the life of his son. The story of this father giving his life for his son that the majority of parents would have aborted impacted this, one of his other sons, Thomas Vanderwood, in a powerful way. He recognized that all life was precious. But he saw that love was not only something that was taught but he saw in his father a 
love that was caught by what his father did. When, when people are not loved, it affects how they view others and themselves. But when people truly experience love, it affects their view of others and themselves. John 13, 34, a new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. So that you must love one another. And by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So I want to challenge you on this Christmas season, this Advent, to see love not the way the world sees it, but to see love as Christ has demonstrated to us. That for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that he was willing to go into the septic tank of life so that he can hoist all of you up to experience the love of God so that then you can express the love to those around you. Make it your covenant. Make it your promise this Christmas to love somebody the way God loved you.